Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Liz Fowler, who helps lead the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, also known as CMMI, or the Innovation Center. We get to know a little bit about Dr. Fowler's history, where she was right out of school working with CMS and was the first to potentially do that, and she'll share more info on how that happened. In today's episode, she walks us through visually, for those of you watching on YouTube, how to navigate the CMMI website and how you can find how things are being tested right in your backyard. CMMI has impacted over 28 million patients in its 10 plus years of existence. And again, it's a great resource for those who work in healthcare to see what's being tested and different models of care that are happening right in your backyard. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us on pophealthpodcast.com checking us out on our YouTube channel or places like Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Well, Dr. Fowler, or I know I can call you Liz, so I'll call you Liz. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Gavin. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, folks, I'm really excited. I know many of you may not have heard of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation or the Innovation Center. And there's an awesome opportunity for you guys to get involved um, or learn from what is happening at CMMI. And so um, Liz has kindly uh, donated some of her time to our show today. And I first had the opportunity uh, to hear from you, Liz, at the health conference in Boston, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and really appreciate your energy and enthusiasm. And I know our audience will enjoy it as well. So let's go ahead and jump in and get to know you a little bit. That's what we do on our shows, get to know the guests a little bit before uh, getting into the meat and potatoes. So can you share something with us, Liz, outside of the healthcare or workplace about you, like a hobby or fun fact? Um, I like to run. I've run with the same group of um, friends since 2004. We've run marathons all over the world. And for a while, I ventured into triathlons, um, did a couple of Ironmans. Wow. And not very fast. Um, <laughs> they give you a long time to complete it. So I won't brag about the time because but I did finish. and. Um, doing less of that during COVID, but trying to get back into it. And um, I guess maybe the other thing is that I've, uh, in trying to overcome a fear of heights, I've become a little bit of an adrenaline junkie uh, in terms of sort of um, tried bungee jumping and and hang gliding and um, and some other things. Okay. So I think when we think of the stereotype of a government employee, you don't think of bungee jumping or hang gliding <laughs> and all of that. So it's it's nice to see the uh, the adventure there, which is is really cool. Um, I uh, I do running as well, but not a marathon. I just got to five miles, and to me, that's a big deal. So twenty six point two miles. Uh, you said we won't talk about times. So that was on the triathlon side. On the triathlon side, would you mind sharing about your marathon? Your kind of your PR or personal best, maybe? Yeah, but see, I'm not very fast there either. So my fastest is four twenty four. All right, <laughs> so. but you finished. I finished. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. Let's see you do the math. I mean, that's still pretty good. I, mean, I think most of our listeners probably couldn't do that. You mentioned you do it all over the world. Where's kind of the, the, the coolest or most unique place you've done a marathon? Um, well, I've done the 424 was in Paris. I've done um, 
in, in Bordeaux, there's a dress up marathon called Medoc marathon where every year they have a theme and you dress up and you, and the water stops are at um, wineries in oh, Bordeaux, wow. which is really fun. So it's less running, less about running and more about fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And uh, Iceland was fun and Prague. Um, yeah. Wow. That is, that is really neat. Uh, I know triathlons are brutal uh, with the swimming, the biking, the running. So the fact that you can finish this pretty neat too. So um, let's jump into a little bit of your background. Uh, we know your, your passions there with the running triathlon, et cetera. But how about where you grew up? And uh, let's start there. Sure. I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and just a little bit about, about my background. My father was a physician. My grandfather was a physician. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, so that's a little bit about me. And um, what attracted me to health policy uh, if you want to go one step further, I thought I was going to be a doctor, but then I took a class uh, as a sophomore and they said the U.S. was the only uh, industrialized country or developed country in the world without a national health system. And that sounded more interesting. So switched majors and started looking into history of science and healthcare systems. And, and that became my passion instead. Okay. So, awesome. Cool. So you went to school. Uh, now, do I have it right? that you uh, studied the history of philosophy, the the history and philosophy of science and technology at uh, Penn. Did I get that right? Yep, that's right. Okay, cool. So was that after you had made your change? And you, exactly. So I went to, uh, decided to completely switch gears and stop taking science classes and, and start taking history of medicine classes instead, so. Okay, awesome. So tell us what happened after Penn. Um, my first job out of college, because uh, I wanted to go into health policy, was working for CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which was then called HICVA, uh, which uh, the Healthcare Financing Administration, which gives a little indication of my age. And uh, I worked in their Office of Legislation and Policy on sort of writing testimony for congressional hearings and uh, being right in the middle of a lot of uh, where federal health policy was being made by the at the agency level anyways. Okay. So were you able to make that jump directly after uh, undergrad or how does, how does someone make that bridge to work for CMS, a very large and well-respected organization? Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It, you know, I, I was actually the first person that they had hired out straight out of college. Most people had graduate degrees. Um, I think it was a little bit of an experiment. Uh, somehow I, I'm not sure how I wound my way there, but uh but they they decided to give it a try. So I don't know if they've done it since, but uh, but it wasn't a common path. Um, but yeah. now if you have a master's in public health, public policy, public administration, that's the route that most people go to get into the agency. Okay. Do you mind me asking if you did an internship first or uh, knew somebody who worked there? I, I know a lot of folks would want to work at CMS. Um, you know, I think um, I did an internship on Capitol Hill and um, and they helped the person I met there helped connect me to the agency. And that's how I made my way there. So, you know, okay. Washington is very much a um, sort of a little bit of serendipity, you know, sort of you meet people, you connect and they help. And most people I've met along the way have been very helpful and trying to make connections. And so I try to do the same uh, for anyone who's looking for job advice or connections. Awesome, Liz. Awesome. Okay, so you made a, your way to CMS at an early age. Walk us through your journey. You started at a young age at CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. You mentioned HICFA, which was the Healthcare Finance Administration. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. 
Cool. Um, so you start early on. How did you eventually make your way into your role today? Uh, well, it's a it's a winding and circuitous path. I, I went to graduate school at Johns Hopkins for public health um, and then for personal reasons, moved to Minnesota in the middle of the degree. It was in the middle of getting a Ph.D. and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I applied to law school on a whim, uh, sort of if I get in, I'll go. If I don't, I won't. And um, and went to law school and then came immediately back to D.C. after law school. And, um, you know, I practiced law for a total of nine months. Uh, it's not for everybody. So uh, and found a job on the Hill. And so I went to work for the U.S. Senate Finance Committee. So uh, in the U.S. Senate, that's the committee that has jurisdiction over uh, taxes, uh, international trade, and then all of the um, health programs that are part of the Social Security Act. So Medicare, Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program. Um, so, and and now, you know, pieces of the marketplace. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was serendipity. And, and um, it's also an example that, you know, I'm a poster child for how you can make multiple course corrections in your career and still end up doing something that you love. Yeah, that is awesome. So one one phrase that I've heard among folks who work in government or politics is the hill. Um, most of our audience is in the Southwest portion. We have a national audience, but a lot of listeners in the Southwest who may not be in politics or involved in government. When people say the hill, what does that mean exactly? It means you work for the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate. Um, and the way, you know, there's, um, of course, 435 members of the House. Everyone has a member of Congress except in DC, if you live in the District of Columbia, you have one, but they can't vote. And then of course there's a hundred senators and um, and then there's a number of committees. Um, and so the committees have jurisdiction over certain issues. So um, the committee that I work for, where you have to be specialized. So it's, um, you know, you have to come with a specialized, you know, subject matter expertise um, that the committee um, has jurisdiction over. And so that's how I found my way to the finance committee because I had a background in Medicare having worked for CMS. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know for you, that may seem like a simple question, but uh, our audience uh, as healthcare professionals sometimes aren't aware. So thank you very much. So let's jump in and talk about the uh, Innovation Center or CMMI, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid. Now I hear people often call it the centers for Medicare and Medicaid. What's the proper way to say it? So it's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That's the overall agency. And we are the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, one singular, um, sometimes called CMMI. And then we've started referring to it as the CMS Innovation Center. Okay, awesome. Could you give us a little background, Liz, on how the uh, how CMMI came about? Sure. Well, I mentioned that I had worked for the U.S. Senate and uh, the Finance Committee. I was very uh, lucky to be able to work um, on drafting major legislation, including the Medicare drug bill and then also the Affordable Care Act. So I was the chief health counsel during the drafting of the ACA. And um, the Innovation Center was created as part of the Affordable Care Act because, and many people don't know this, the ACA was, um, there were just as many members who were interested in in trying to figure out how to bend the cost curve of health spending as we're interested in covering the uninsured. And so, but as staffers, as congressional staffers, when we looked around for what are the best ideas to sort of move towards value and, and you know, increase quality and lower costs, there weren't a lot of ideas. And so we set up this innovation center, um, gave it some money 
some seed money and said, if there's ideas in the private sector that are working, um, then maybe Medicare Medicaid ought to be able to look at them and let's test them in Medicare Medicaid. And so um, I guess the best way to describe the Innovation Center, um, uh, Don Berwick, who was a previous CMS administrator and, and a, one of the nation's foremost experts on delivery system reform, he described it that the Innovation Center is to the U.S. health system what the NIH is to biomedical research. So if you can think of it that way. Yeah, um, that, that is awesome. Um, we had Tom Daschle on the show uh, previously. I'm not sure if in your previous workings uh you you interacted with him at all yep of course yeah awesome. yeah yeah i know you mentioned the affordable care act so uh that's awesome okay so let's let's talk about some of this this innovation center history so you guys have tested various models can you give our audience a sense of what are some of the things that we see today that started with the innovation center yeah, well, since we have started um, a little over 10 years ago, we've tested about 50 models. Um, the models have focused on particular health conditions like end-stage renal disease, episodes of care like joint replacement. Uh, we focused on specific provider types like primary care providers um, or even particular communities like rural areas, as well as innovation within Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D. And um, so in the last, I think in our last annual or biannual report, um, we said that between 2018 and 2020, um, our models have touched about 28 million Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries and, um, and individuals with private insurance um, and have impacted more than 528,000 healthcare providers or plans um, who have either participated in models or um, been part of initiatives in states. Okay. So um, pretty broad swath, um, pretty broad impact. And so that's how I would describe what we've okay. been doing. So would one of the uh, would one of the models of care that you guys have tested be like the BIPSI or bundled payment for care improvement? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, you want me to get into specific models? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not dig into the weeds. But I think a lot of our listeners and, and uh, viewers of our show today um, have been involved or maybe their leadership has said, Hey, do your job this way, but behind the scenes, it's because of BIPSI or the bundle payment. You know, so maybe like a couple of sure. new transitions of care, maybe like an example there of uh, readmission prevention or transitions of care. Sure. Examples. Well, readmission trans um, at readmissions, um, those penalties sit in. That's a permanent part of the program, so it's not a model or a demonstration. Okay. Um, I'll start with maybe I'll start with BIPSI. Um, so sure. it's one of our better known models, the bundle payment for care improvement or BIPSI um, and the subsequent bundle payment for care improvement advanced or BIPSI, um, BPCIA. So okay. it's a voluntary bundled payment model and it qualifies as an advanced alternative payment model. Um, and it has payment tied to performance on quality measures. And what we've done is we use a single payment um, for a 90 day episode of care. So there, um, in BIPSI Advanced, for example, there were 31 inpatient clinical episodes and four outpatient clinical episodes. Um, and we were primarily targeting, um, looking at prices um, provided to participants prior to the start of the performance period. And then, and then we're, if, they, if we gave them a bundle um, 
for this 90-day episode? Could they, for example, reduce costs in post-acute care? And yeah. if so, then they got to save part of the, they got to um, keep part of those savings. Could we, are you able to maybe give an example in real numbers? I think that might be helpful if, if you don't have to be right on, but is there, are you able to give like a range like, hey, we might give someone, you know, $30,000 for X. And oh, I'd have to look. Yeah, I don't know that I, I would be able to come up with that, but it's a good question. And I probably should know that. Um, no problem. That's your, your team. You have, I'm sure you have analysts who have all that information. <laughs> right. And I apologize, audience. I did not know Liz to get that information uh, ready. So apologies for that. Uh, but yeah, I know many of you listeners and watchers of today's episode have dealt with that. Um, what's cool, Liz, as you mentioned, 28 million Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries have uh, received care through one of your uh, models, and they probably don't even know it, right? I mean, this is all behind the scenes stuff. Exactly. Um, accountable care organizations, ACOs, for example, you might be a Medicare beneficiary and you're your doctor might be part of an ACO, uh, you wouldn't necessarily know it, but hopefully that doctor is taking better care of you, coordinating your care, and you know, really trying to be accountable for cost and quality and being able to share in those savings uh, when your outcomes improve and your, and your costs are reduced. Okay, cool. Are you able to share, Liz, about any organizations, um, either nationally or maybe in the Southwest portion of, of the United States, that have really decided to, to join CMMI and really go for it with some of these tests? Are there any groups that are really I mean, I've, participating? I think it, you'd be hard pressed to find an organization that hasn't um, participated in one angle or you know, one aspect of the model or another. I can okay. point to Banner Health, um, did a really nice call with them when I first joined. Uh, and they sort of recounted, they were in a number of our models, um, ACOs, um, in BIPSI, um, I don't want to say anything wrong, so I won't. I won't go beyond that. But um, but they were really gung ho, and it was really exciting to hear from them and their perspective about what their experience had been uh, working with us in our models. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. I had the privilege uh, in my. I mentioned my day job off the air with you. Um, they had a team that they invested in, um, you know, to try new things, and not every health system has that luxury or is willing to invest and tests of change and pilots. So, well, and can I make a point on that? Yeah. Because since I've been here and it's been 10 months or so, I joined in March, we're really starting, we, we've launched a new strategy. So we put out a white paper in, um, in October that sort of outlines a new strategy. And one of the things we found is that not all providers have the resources or the capacity or, you know, the, you know, the tools um, needed to invest in, in participating in some of these models. And so I think we're trying to pay a lot more attention to who hasn't participated and why and what more we can do to make sure that they have the resources they need. So it's a really important point, but subtle point. Okay, cool. Um, one thing I want to get to in, in a moment, Liz, if you wouldn't mind, I know we talked prior to the episode about maybe sharing your screen so folks can kind of see how to navigate where different things are happening on the CMMI website. But we talked about Banner being a success and, and investing and, and doing some good things. Are, are you able to share, uh, and I don't know if you are, but in your experience, whether you were employed with CMMI or even as an observer or partner through a different role in the past, is there an example of like, hey, we tried this and it was just a disaster? <laughs> I think we don't think about it in that way. Okay. I think for every of the 50 models we've had, we've learned something from the model. 
Um, and even the ones that don't work, I mean, I guess if you think about like medical and scientific innovation, um, it's sometimes incremental. And so even when it didn't turn out like you thought it would, it helps inform the next model. And so um, I, we see this as iterative and, um, and, and sort of the process of innovation. So I think we don't look at it as, boy, that, you know, that was a failure. We look at it as what did we learn that we could use and apply next time? Awesome. I didn't think of that way of uh, thinking until I was in my mid-20s when I read a book called Failing Forward. And I know a lot of leaders, you know, use that concept nowadays and that your answer is exactly that. Um, take the positive and move forward. So um, if folks want to, you know, figure out, hey, what's happening with CMMI now? What kind of tests or models are being tested out there today? Um, what parts of the country? Uh, can you share your screen and kind of show folks sure. how to navigate that? Sure. Let me... Hopefully this works. No worries. This is like a test. You know, it's like an intelligence test. There, can you see it? Yeah, we see it. All right. And uh, Liz, I'm going to jump in here really quickly. For folks that are listening, if you get a chance, check out our YouTube uh, page. And Liz is walking you through the CMMI website uh, right now. So if you can't right now, um, just Google CMMI or innovation.cms.gov. Again, that's... I think if you... Oh. Yeah, if you inter if you search for CMMI, you have to put CMS after it because it doesn't always come up. There's another there's some other organization with CMMI. So um, CMS Innovation Center, um, CMS, uh, I think it's innovation.cms.gov is our website. And so here's our website. You'll see you can we've got landing page where you can see where innovation is happening. So you can go on a state you want to. Um, let's see, for example, Arizona, you mentioned the Southwest. Yeah. Um, so it'll give you um, a sense of what organizations are, you can look on the left-hand side, um, what models are being run, um, categories of models, and you can look up the organizations who are participating. Uh, you yeah, can so also look, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Liz. Uh, for the folks that are listening, it looks like there's over 100 organizations participating um, in Arizona in some type of CMMI model, if I'm understanding that correctly, Liz. Yeah, exactly. So you can you can hone in on exactly what um, part of the state you want to look at. You can um, find specific organizations. Um, and then I think the other way I would search for models is looking for our innovation models. So, you know, if you wanted, so we, we were talking about BIPSI. So say you want to look at um, innovation models in the bundled payment. Here are all of the episodes, um, the episode-based payment models. You can see how many participants, um, oh, I guess, and whether or not they're still active. That's, hang on, maybe I'll do bundled payments. Well, you see, you can describe it for. Yeah, so uh, there's just a search tool. Um, that Liz is looking up, which uh, she, I think she explained it well. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Do you want me to stop sharing, or you you want to explore other things? No, I think I think that's good. Um, uh, and I appreciate you sharing, Liz, for the folks that are watching or can watch. Again, CMMI was something I didn't know about um, as a um, frontline provider, a mid-level manager. But as I moved up. Um, and did, took on more responsibility, I, I started to pick that up. So I really think it's good for folks. And a lot of our listeners or watchers are in leadership roles and or, or newer leaders. And this is a great organization to know about. 
So um, for folks, let's say there is an up and coming leader or an existing leader or person at a company who's listening and be like, hey, like, I want to test things out. You know, how do I get on CMMI's radar or how do I get involved in a test of change or a pilot? Well, I think so. First of all, go to the website and see if there's something that fits. Um, I think the other thing to do would be, um, I mentioned that we had put out a white paper explaining a new strategy. So sort of describing the new direction and where we're trying to take it, um, trying to take our models. And I, I will say, um, you know, coming in as a new leader at CMMI, um, one of my goals, well, I had two goals. One of them was to be uh, more transparent and clear about where we're heading. Um, one of the things as I was taking this job, I heard was that, you know, organizations weren't sure where we were going. They weren't sure what was coming next. And so we're trying to be, uh, I think, more forthcoming about the direction we're heading and why um, and and why uh, we're heading in that direction. And then the second thing is, um, you know, you might remember, Gavin, 10 years ago after the AACA passed, everyone was talking about value-based care. The, the yep. world was moving in this direction. We're moving away from value or volume and towards value. And I think that's dissipated a little bit and we've sort of lost a lot of that momentum. And so really trying to gain some of that momentum back um, and giving the sense that we are making movement and forward movement and here's where we're going. But if you're a provider or, you know, you have ideas, first of all, you know, make sure that it's, you know, consistent with the direction we're going. The second is, you know, you're probably part of um, a hospital association or a specialty society. Um, there are a lot of different avenues to work with your um, associations or organizations. They weigh in with us all the time. We meet with them regularly as stakeholders. Yeah. And um, they bring ideas to us. Um, patient organizations bring ideas to us. We're interested in those as well. Um, and, um, you know, we don't launch... I mean, 50 models over 10 years. So it's an average of, you know, four to five models a year. So it's not a ton, but, um, but you know, there may be aspects um, of, you know, your innovative thinking that we should be aware of. Um, and we're, we have an open door for that. Definitely. And uh, Liz mentioned an open door. Um, I had no previous relationship um, with Liz until recently, just via, I think I reached out you know, just via email or uh, or something along those lines. And you're very receptive, connecting me with your team. So um, when Liz says reach out, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm just a small little guy here in California. And she responded right away and connected me with the right folks to get this episode together. So um, I do encourage you to reach out. I know one of those associations is like America's Physician Groups, for example, um, is one of the ones that works uh, or interacts with you regularly. So um, again, folks, really encourage you guys stay up to speed on what the Innovation Center or CMMI is doing. And if you're searching for that, again, do put the CMS. Thank you, Liz, uh, for pointing that out on Google. I actually, prior to our, uh, our recording today, I, I wanted to do some research and I did notice when I did CMMI on Google, you were not first because there was another organization. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so really good point. Um, Liz, if folks want to keep tabs on what you're up to um, or what CMMI is doing besides the website, um, is there another place like a LinkedIn or, or other place that folks can stay connected with you? Yeah, I think we have CMS Innovates. I think we have a Twitter um, account. I, I don't know how active it is, to be quite honest with you. I'm not, a, um, I'm not super active on Twitter I'm more of a, a voyeur on Twitter, so uh, so I'm I'm signed up for CMS Innovates, but um, but I'm not sure that um, I think we're trying to get more active and trying to do more outreach. We're trying to do um, 
more listening sessions as part of the strategy. I think it's been really important to hear from folks that we haven't heard from. Uh, we hear from big organizations, you know, the big systems that are very involved and we hear from them often. Um, the larger organizations around the country, um, I'm sure you all know who they are. Sorry about the dog. No worries. And, uh, <laughs> there's two of them. Thanks uh, <laughs> uh, for a good episode. Trust me, it's all good. <laughs> okay. All right. This never, this always happens. Um, and um, so we're trying to do more listening sessions. So we did one on November 18th. Uh, I think we put up the transcript, but we had a, we actually we invited people to speak and and give us their perspective um, and write in. So I think there's an email address too uh, to share your perspectives. We're doing um, a listening session. I think it's on December 8th on health equity okay. and uh, should be information on that. And then I think we're planning um, more in January as well. Okay. Awesome. Um, by the time this, yeah, so folks, uh, look for the January um, uh, opportunities on the website, the listening uh, sessions. Is that what you called it? Listening sessions? Cool. Well, Dr. Liz Fowler has been our guest, folks, with CNMI. Um, it's been great having you. Your team was very good at uh, prepping for this, uh, which I very much appreciate. And um, folks, again, if you want to stay up to tabs with uh, the Centers for Innovate, the Center for, why don't you say it, Liz? <laughs> Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. <laughs> CMS Innovation Center. Yeah, make sure you get to the correct website. Um, Liz mentioned the Twitter. And again, uh, feel free to email directly. Um, Liz was, was a great uh, resource for me and I really appreciate you being a resource for our audience today, Liz. Thanks so much for having me, Gavin. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.